and welcome back to another episode of The Daily Disruptor. I'm your host, Adam Brunette, and with me as always, Mr. Ephraim Hoffman, the CEO and founder of Running Alpha. We have a very special episode planned for you today. This insight isn't found anywhere else on the planet, so stay tuned. Also, we have our website up and running, so please stop by at the-daily-disruptor.pinecast.co. I know that's a mouthful, so I'll include the link in the description below. We're also working on getting a conversation going with our listeners, so be on the lookout in the coming episodes for a way to connect with us and share your feedback for the show. Enjoy. We were discussing the other day about Bitcoin, and you had mentioned to me in a personal conversation that there was a big opportunity in Bitcoin happening right then. But when I checked my exchange, Coinbase, it didn't reach the levels that you were talking about after the fact, even though it did reach those levels on the exchange that you were trading on. Why is that? And maybe explain why this is such a unique opportunity in terms of a trading experience. So basically, when you're trading stocks, what I found is that stocks that are dual listed. So for example, let's say if I was trading gold, and let's say, I'll give you an example. Kinross Gold is listed both in the US and Canada. El Dorado Gold is both listed in Canada and the US. So when you tend to have stocks that are listed in more than one exchange, they tend to have different histories. So because sometimes, like if a company came out, let's say on a US exchange, but then decided that it was quite popular and a lot of people liked it in Canada, then maybe it gets listed in the Canadian exchange. Usually it's, it, sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes there's, let's say a gold stock that trades in Canada. And then later on, it could be several years later, it becomes listed in the US a lot. And then there's a lot of times where there's just dual listings right from day one or near day one. Now, especially when those listings are separated in time, between two different geographies, they have different data sets. And so when people are analyzing it, they will tend to see different trends and that creates an arbitrage opportunity. So sometimes you'll see the same equity trade, even when you account for currency fluctuations, trade at a discount or a premium and people could take advantage of that. But the only people that could really take advantage of that are those very sophisticated hedge funds that have super fast computers that could identify the discrepancy before somebody kind of picks up the $100 bill. So the thing is, but it actually, what I discovered through analyzing the market through a quantum lens, that I actually discovered that when there's dual listings, especially when it comes to commodities, you will tend to have a, a situation where not only will there be an arbitrage opportunity in terms of money that's left on the table, but the actual signal setups that people will get using their trading indicators will actually vary from one exchange to another. A lot of people think, well, you know, yeah, there may be an arbitrage opportunity on a relative basis based on price, but if everything, you know, on a relative basis, the signals should look approximately the same. And what I find is a lot of times, trends will tend to get exaggerated or you'll get spike action. Like you, you may get like a five or 10 bar run and then think, oh, it's time to sell. And then immediately the market maybe pulls back 
for one or two bars. And then out of the blue, there's another five or six bars that continue the trend. And a lot of times what I notice is that will happen because the original signal that formed on one exchange actually has a delayed reaction on another exchange, even, even when the arbitrage opportunity is corrected. So you can't correct a signal setup by correcting an ARB opportunity. And because of that, it creates a situation where trends get reinforced and you get feedback effect from one exchange to another that causes the trend to persist. So as an education topic, traders that really want to participate and really catch these big, big trends without missing the meat, because the meat sometimes happens after the first signal triggers on one exchange and then there's a pullback and then the other exchange gives the perfect setup. You may not have the perfect setup on the original exchange once it's already triggered. So what I suggest people do is that they actually analyze the market using their high probability signals or even using signal setups that we talk about uh, on the show and look at it on all the different exchanges because a lot of times people make the mistake and, and they've been told or taught through trading books that says always trade on the exchange that has the highest volume. And it's true, you do wanna be trading on the exchange that has the highest volume. But what you don't wanna be doing is making the assumption that trading on the exchange with the highest volume also means not looking at the exchanges that have lower volume. Because sometimes you could have very small differences between exchanges. You could have like a situation where maybe between one exchange and the other, there's only like, a 10% difference in trading volume. If that's the case, yes, it's true, trade on the, the exchange with the most volume, but it's because it's only 10% difference, you should still be looking at exchanges that have viable volume. Myself, personally, I will look at all exchanges, even the exchanges with low volume, because even though you don't wanna transact on those exchanges, it could give you critical insight and a heads up of whether a trend is going to continue so that you don't take too much profit out too early. Or if you do take profit early on on the first exchange, when you get that initial pullback, you'll be prepared to buy in at a better level instead of missing it out and waiting for another signal that's maybe a perfect signal on the original exchange. Because once an, an exchange gives a perfect signal, it usually won't give another perfect signal right away. But what you will find and what I find is other exchanges will or they never actually set to get out in the first place. So that can make a big difference, not only for maintaining profit and staying in a trend so you ca capture the meat of it, but also for not missing out on the initial trend because everybody's trading signals are different and their indicators respond differently. So it's quite possible with certain indicators, you're not going to get your perfect setup on maybe the exchange that has the highest volume, but you will get it on an exchange that may have mediocre volume. So what you do is you use that exchange for your analysis, and then you go to the exchange with the highest volume to transact the signal and get the best price so that the spread and the liquidity is the highest. I'm bringing this up. This is traditionally something that stock traders should be looking at and commodity traders should be looking at, especially when commodities trade 
in more than one country on ex on different exchanges because it is a commodity and commodities are used all around the world. So it's not just the Chicago Mercantile Exchange that will trade certain products, but there is the London Commodity Exchange. There's all kinds of exchanges around the world. And I would apply that kind of analysis to pretty much anything you trade. But because a hot topic today and actually over the past number of episodes that we had on these uh, podcasts, we've been talking a lot recently about cryptocurrencies. And it's not that we just focus on cryptocurrencies. We focus on the hottest trends and emergent trends, trends before they become visible, not only to the masses, but even visible to the machines, because we, we use a very different kind of analysis technology that's built on how nature actually crunches numbers. So rather than looking at statistics and looking at basically big data analysis and just assuming that if you collect tons of data, you'll get a really good answer. Sometimes you could be collecting a lot of data that's irrelevant and it could actually make your um, decision making worse. So we, what we try to focus on is using quantum computing logic that allows you to analyze many dimensions of the market simultaneously and then simulate forward the best way of calibrating future values of momentum with how news events and trading decisions in the order book that get actually manifested in price would actually impact future momentum, future sentiment, and the emotional footprint caused by all that. So by taking all these factors into account, but rather than just going after every data set you could get under the sun, we're very focused. So we call it small data analysis. So it's kind of the new idea using small data networks and understanding the topology of how the different decision makers in the network are connected together and produce a feedback effect between perceptions of trend, between the how those perceptions of trend drive sentiment and how sentiment actually causes people to filter out positive or negative information so that if we see that perception trends are going to be emerging in the future that are going to show that sentiment is going to be weighed with a bias to negative information, then it's more likely that if positive news was, was to come into the market in that kind of market environment, it would not be counted as relevant as negative information. So it's almost as if they're wearing glasses that are only seeing negative information and not the positive, or at other times only seeing the positive and not the negative. And when we're trying to identify trends, whether it's in equities, commodities, gold, silver, and cryptocurrencies, and we're, let's say, thinking about going along the market, we want to make sure that the, the way nature analyzes data is actually telling us that the sentiment bias going forward is going to be viewed through rosy glasses so that any negative information that comes in gets discounted and any positive information gets amplified. So you get a double effect of buying that comes in. And we do this across all time horizons and then across all the different asset, um, assets within a specific asset class. And then weigh 
which ones have the best setups for forward bias that's going to produce a positive result if we're going to have a move that's going to you know move to the positive side because that will allow unknown events that come into the market to translate into powerful trends to the upside without having to worry about you know whether the market is going to go you know whether the news tomorrow is going to be good or bad you no longer have to worry about those things all you have to worry about is which asset relative to any other asset has the best feedback effect because people will be wearing rosy glasses and when you do that because money especially in today's environment where everybody is basically trying to chase after return in an environment where interest rates have gone negative in many uh, geographies around the world, people have to put their money somewhere. And if you analyze the corners of the market that are outside of cash itself, then and you find out the one that has the best prospect for sentiment bias, that's where all the money is going to be charging. And because there's only so much liquidity in a specific market, if all the money charges toward there, it's like a fire hose shooting into an area that only has a limited amount of supply. Lots of demand, limited supply, massive moves. And right now, that's why we've been talking about cryptocurrencies, because there's a whole bunch of alternative coins, a lot of Ethereum-based ERC-20 coins, which we've talked about lately. A few that we talked about was uh, the Ox protocol. We talked about uh, ADA. We talked about Komodo. And these have had very powerful trends. Uh, shortly after we talked about them in a number of occasions, they, they, they leapt up. Some of them have pushed more than double or triple, quadruple in earlier episodes. And we, we see that uh, Ox is likely going to continue its rally in the coming days. So I'd be taking advantage of pullbacks. But I just want to let you know that whatever I just talked about in the beginning of this episode regarding how important it is to actually look and evaluate your indicators on all the exchanges that that symbol trades on, it even applies more so when it comes to cryptocurrencies. And why is that? The cryptocurrency market is extremely fragmented. In the stock market, most of the time, if an equity trades somewhere in a primary market where there's some liquidity, it'll be on one exchange. Let's say the New York Stock Exchange or it'll be on NASDAQ, or maybe you'll have a gold thing that's in the uh, TSX in, in Canada and uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. So you get that dual listing. But when it comes to cryptocurrencies, it's so fragmented. You may have three or four or five different exchanges trading the same cryptocurrency. So that produces an even greater opportunity to identify signal setups that may vary between exchanges. And because of that, as I explained in the beginning of the episode, there are more arbitrage opportunities, not only in terms of price, but also in terms of the frequency that you will have opportunities to initiate and prolong a trend and get the meat of a, of a trend. Uh, the last um, really, really important piece of information I want to mention that's very unique to the cryptocurrency space uh, that is quite different than the stock space um, for the same reasons is that the gateway into crypto in the beginning has been Bitcoin. So you kind of had to buy Bitcoin in order to convert it into these other coins. 
It's a little bit different today. Today, you could actually buy other coins. You could buy stable coins that are basically digital versions of fiat currency and then convert them into other alternative coins. Or you could buy Ethereum or you could buy other types of the top, let's say, five or six coins. But even so, Bitcoin is still looked, a lot of people think, well, what's the purpose of Bitcoin? Like you could use any coin. And yes, you could, you could argue that that's true. I mean, it's the blockchain that's important. It's the projects that are, that are actually producing and solving problems that you can't solve outside of the blockchain, like dynamic problems, like we talked about in our last episode, like zero knowledge interaction, where you're trying to securely produce an exchange of information or an exchange of trade between two parties. And you don't want to have to trust a specific party. You don't want to have counterparty risk. You don't want to have exchange risk. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, there's tremendous levels of privacy when the transaction takes place. These are things that cannot be done outside of the blockchain. But, in, but for right now, in order to do those things, we need a gateway. And the reality is today, Bitcoin is the cryptocurrency that has the largest, well, I would say the longest history. And because it has the longest history, a lot of the money coming into the market today is coming from institutional hedge funds that are pouring in billions of dollars into the crypto space. And when they pour money in, these sophisticated shops use the most advanced quantitative analytics and their analytics produce better results when they're able to analyze the market on different time horizons and go deeper into the past. So they will tend to favor and put most of their money into coins that have a history, even if those coins are not the coins that necessarily represent a breakthrough in terms of new innovation. They're just a gateway for them to park it into because they have an ability to scalp or trade around it. So I do believe that because of the history of Bitcoin and the amount of data that there is, and the fact that a lot of the avenues that newbie traders in the crypto space are getting involved in only offer a few coins. Most of them are, I've heard about Bitcoin. It's the most popular coin, has the most market volume for at this point right now. So it's likely the coin that not only will there be demand going into it as more people see opportunity in these other altcoins, but also when altcoins finish their move, you have to sell them. And in a long time ago, there weren't stable coins. You weren't able to just sell it and put it into a fiat crypto coin. It used to be that if you sold it, you either put it into Ethereum or you put it into Bitcoin or Litecoin. Okay. But still a lot of people still put it into Bitcoin just naturally because a lot of people think Bitcoin's going a lot higher. So they just don't want to be bothered if they're going to sleep at night to find out that Bitcoin exploded and they still had it in a fiat currency that you know will vaporize on a moment's notice if the Fed continues printing trillions of dollars. So, so the idea is that uh, because a lot of uh, there's a lot of correlation between when alternative coins rally. So it, let's say, for example, Ox rallies. 
and and let's say Komodo rallies, and let's say Matic rallies. These are these are different kinds of coins and ADA rallies. They'll tend to rally, not all the time, but if you look at the global supply of the ones doing well, they'll tend to rally together while Bitcoin is held back. For example, today when we had a big buy signal on Bitcoin in the on a on a short term time frame, this was just like an intraday trade, but it was at in the 9700s. And we were expecting an imminent move. We posted it on, on LinkedIn. So I'd advise a lot of people to also go to my LinkedIn site as well under Ephraim Hoffman to actually see calls that I put out during the day. But what happens is that there was a huge surge in Bitcoin. It was demand coming in, but it wasn't just demand coming in because I, I noticed that coincident to the time that Bitcoin started surging today when it got into the, uh, the 10,000 range, all the other crypto coins that were rallying while Bitcoin was just consolidating before the rally started selling off hard. So a lot of times that will happen is when you're looking at the crypto market, you should look, put your indicators on Bitcoin and put your indicators on the recent performance of other leading coins. And if you start noticing that the leading coins just prior to Bitcoin going up start actually underperforming, while Bitcoin is legitimately breaking out or having a fade signal or a mean reversion or extreme reversion signal from a low point to a high point, what's happening is a whole bunch of money is coming out of many different exchanges at once and many, many different coins all at once and all going into Bitcoin or going into a stable coin. But there's not many choices. Whereas in the stock market, it's very different. If you have a US trader, and you have all these thousands of stocks that trade on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ and the move is over and they sell it, the default is it just goes into, it's going into, it's not just going into the US dollar because the US people aren't the only ones trading the US market. Canadians are trading it. People from London are trading it. People from all over the world are trading the US market. And even when they're sleeping, the big hedge funds that represent most of the trading volume, those machines are running while they're sleeping. And they are when they sell their equities, it's not just going back into US dollars. It's going into a whole bunch of competing currencies. And there are a lot more competing currencies for stocks than there are in the crypto space. So when when a move ends in the alternative coins and that money goes into Bitcoin when they sell it, you're getting a massive funnel of buying. So the buying is not just coming from newbies that haven't participated yet in the market and new fiat money coming into the exchanges and then buying Bitcoin, but it's also coming from every other coin that people that have already gone into the crypto space with are now selling and buying Bitcoin. So you're getting so much more power. That's why the moves are so much more dramatic and so much more spiky. But if you really want to get the most dramatic piece out of the move, then as I said in the beginning of the call, you should be analyzing the, um, the, uh, your indicators on multiple timeframes and on multiple exchanges, even with low volume, and then transacting them on the high volume exchanges. So the, the bottom line on the call today is for action, I would say focus heavily on AUX. That move that we had, like on our last call, it was down in the, uh, in the 33 handle space. I'm just talking about the first two digits of AUX. And, right, and it got as high as the 44 handle. 
since we had our uh, last podcast. So that's quite a rally, but I do expect it to go substantially further in the coming days. And I would expect it to um, just explode to the upside like we have never seen as we advance into this month. And we'll talk more about it as we get into our next podcast. Remember, this isn't investment advice as we are not licensed professionals. It's of course recommended that you discuss any insight found here with your licensed investing advisor. And if you like the show, please share it with others that you think would benefit from our perspective. Thanks for listening.